And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, and let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and welcome to episode number 99, one show away from the centennial of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. So won't you join us next time as well as this time for a big show, the big show, the big 100 Coming up on this show, though, on episode 99, we're going to touch on a couple of things. I want, to, I want to talk about some stuff regarding Halloween, so we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But as I was thinking about what to talk about, there were so many things that have been coming up that uh, I want to touch on, but I think some of it is kind of like beating a dead horse when it comes to COVID and masks and vaccines and stuff like that. There's something coming out every single day something different and unique that's not always the same, at least from my perspective. You know, I like to think of things through uh, reason and logic. I try to take the emotion out of it because when you have emotion involved, it kind of clouds your thinking. Anybody who has been in a relationship can understand that. But so as I look at things of this world and the things that go on in this world, I like to look at it through reason and logic. And then Also from the perspective of, you know, raising the standard and bringing out our inner greatness, right? The show focuses on things like, you know, passion and greatness. We also talk about, you know, motivational things, inspirational things, our mind and the mindset that goes into raising the standard and bringing out our inner greatness and stuff like that. So so when all this stuff is happening on a daily basis, I try to bring something unique to the table and different that maybe you don't hear other places. And I try to do it in an unbiased manner as much as I can without one becoming overtly like selling out what I believe in, because obviously what I want to talk about is the stuff I believe in. But then two, it's also, you know, we want to have honest conversation. You know, a lot of times we don't have honest conversations. And so I like to try to, uh, Keep the conversation honest. Well, one of the things that uh, came up recently, which is very interesting, and in fact, today there was a, a latest development of what I wanted to talk about. So I prepped the show, I prepared the show, and then today as we broadcast, there was a, um, a development to a story that we're going to actually touch on that happened a few years ago. So, so the basic thing what I want to talk about is the separation of church and state. You might ask yourself, why do you want to talk about the separation of church and state? Well, for a couple of reasons, because one, it's interesting to, to see how people take information and either misunderstand the information that they're receiving, misread the information, and how it muddles things up. Okay, so what do I mean? Before we get to the story, here's an example. So Paul Stanley of KISS had a lead guitar tech. Okay, so it was Paul Stanley, the guy that took care of Paul Stanley's guitars. Well, he died of COVID. I had several people reach out to me and tell me that, did you hear Paul Stanley died of COVID? And now I heard the story about the guitar tech, but I didn't realize Paul Stanley had died. So I'd look it up again, and there's no story about Paul Stanley of Kiss dying of COVID. It's his guitar tech. Well, what happened on one of the headlines, I guess, I don't know which website it was, but one of the headlines led with Paul Stanley's 
lead singer, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Paul Stanley, lead guitarist of Kiss, and then in little words, Guitar Tech, dies of COVID. So if you're just scrolling through social media, you see Paul Stanley dies of COVID, lead guitarist for Kiss. You're like, what? And so it was the the guitar technician that took care of the guitars for Paul Stanley that actually passed away, not Paul Stanley himself. Anyways, so that's the type of information that is important to know because it changes the story, right? It changes what happened. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people were relieved. No, I shouldn't put it that way, but, you know, it changes the dynamic. Okay, oh, Paul Stanley didn't die. Okay, good. But then somebody else did, and that's still sad regardless of who he was. But, yeah, we get this sigh of relief that, oh, okay, good, it wasn't him, but it was him. So it's kind of one of those things that's like we need to be careful what we read and how we react to it. You know, General Colin Powell died recently, and everyone is talking about how he died of COVID, but then he also had cancer and some other illnesses as well. And yet we, we lose out on the fact that someone lost their life, that a family lost somebody, that America lost a war hero. And again, that could be debatable in some circles, uh, circles, but again, you've lost a war hero. You've lost somebody and it's time to mourn. We can worry about the politics later because it really doesn't matter what he died of. He just passed away, and that's the sad part of it. Um, if there's any relief in it, not that there ever is, he was 84. And so maybe that offers up a little solace to some people, knowing that we don't live forever. But so as you can see, information gets distorted. Information gets uh, misunderstood. Information can be thrown out there and then not processed or not talked about, not discussed, not focused on. Many years go by, and then it comes up again, and everybody forgets what happened before, and it creates a new narrative. So what is this separation of church and state? So apparently, Vice President Kamala Harris has done a video supporting the Democrat nominee for governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe. And so she did this video, and the video then is going to be distributed to 300 black churches in Virginia, basically telling them why they should vote for him. Now, a lot of people are talking about a separation of church and state, which I believe should remain. And I do think this is, uh, in the spirit of things, violating that. Because there's a couple reasons why, and we'll get to it. But you have 300 churches in Virginia that supposedly are going to see this video. It's called Souls to the Poles. And I find it fascinating because you're starting to kind of get this hint that, like, politics is a religion. You're starting to ooze politics into religion, and thus that's where I think the violation of church and state comes from, besides the fact that there might be IRS uh, law and maybe some other type of old-school laws that might be being violated with this. But I often think back to, okay, look at just the standing of society when it comes to religion and the state, okay? You think about the Ten Commandments that were in different courthouses. One was Alabama. Alabama had a big story where a judge was forced by an appellate court to take down the Ten Commandments because it was a violation of church and state. And then you've got some other instances where you have people being um, let go or fired because coaches, for example, were fired because they led prayer before, after a football game. 
You have a prayer at the pole, which was something that students would gather around the flagpole before school on a certain day and pray. And there's a lot of controversy around that. So there's been a lot of things regarding the separation of church and state prayer in school back in the 1950s, late 50s. They took prayer out of school. And so there's been a lot of that going on. And now all of a sudden we've got politics being infused into church services and starting to use church as a means for politicking. Now, a lot of people were blaming the white conservative evangelical, calling them all kinds of names from racist, fascist, KKK members when they supported Trump. A lot of good pastors, were their names were besmirched because they supported Trump. Okay, A lot of people in the Christian faith argued over the fact that this group or this person claiming to be a Christian supported Trump. This person claiming to be a Christian thought Trump was bad, and so you had all this infighting in religion that's still going on in the Christian faith. And so what is separation of church and state? A lot of people like to point to the Constitution, much like they like to point to the Constitution when it comes to abortion. But is separation in church and state really in the Constitution? Well, let's explore that a little bit and start off with this uh, little bit of historical information regarding the separation of church and state. Almost everyone has heard of the doctrine of the separation of church and state. Most Americans believe that it's in the United States Constitution. But there is no such phrase in the Constitution, and there never was, for a simple reason. The Founding Fathers never intended for church and state to be completely separate. They saw religion, specifically religions based on the Bible, as indispensable to the moral foundation of the nation they were creating. So where does that phrase come from? It comes from one brief letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association in 1802. At the end of a very long sentence, in which Jefferson affirms his conviction that religious belief should be a private matter, and that the government should not interfere with such matters, he uses the phrase, building a wall of separation between church and state. And that's where the phrase lived, undisturbed, lost in Jefferson's voluminous correspondence for almost 150 years. So you have a wall of separation as the reference to the separation of church and state, how the church should be the church, the state should be the state. And, of course, a lot of this comes from the fact that, you know, when the pilgrims or the people that left Europe, you know, left England, there was a church, an official church recognized by the state, the government, that everyone was supposed to worship. And if you were outside of that, then that was a problem. So the people that came across to the new world, they were actually also looking for religious freedoms, which we all enjoy today, unless you were in Los Angeles during the pandemic and other places like New York City and Canada, where they tried to shut you down, although Canada is a different country, and so they go by different rules. But again, the assault on religion has become something that is now center stage in news media because the government is trying to shut down, or at least was trying to shut down religious services during the pandemic. So where is that wall of separation? It's being chiseled. Apparently, certain groups don't like walls, and sometimes walls can be beneficial. So you have Kamala Harris doing this video that's supposedly going to be seen in 300 churches, and 
may have some influence. So my first question is, what happens when there's a rebuttal? What happens when the Republican candidate for governor wants to put this video message into 300 black churches? Will it be allowed? Is there going to be equal opportunity? You know, in the media business, you have to give equal opportunity, or at least at one time you did. Maybe this has changed now because everything just seems to change on its own. But there used to be a time where if you gave one side airtime or press time, you had to give the other side the same amount of time. Fairness. And so with the separation of church and state, is that going to now become all muddled? And if this is okay for Harris to sit there and put this video out there, is it okay for those people in those churches to be criticized, those parishioners to be criticized, much like the white evangelical that supported President Trump? See, things start to change when the narrative is a certain way. If it's the opposition, the GOP, they do it, it's bad. Racist, KKK. If it's the Democrats, they do it, it's okay. It's creative thinking. You can't have it both ways. So here's the other thing, too, that's more important than the politics of it, though. Think of this. So in the 1950s, they took out uh, prayer in school. Again, the separation of church and state is what it became, and, and they always claim the or point to the Constitution, which, again, we just found out doesn't exist. And so then you have this wall of separation that was referred to kind of keeping the, um, the two entities, might you say, apart so that people can enjoy their religious celebrations, whatever religion it might be. As George Washington said in his farewell address, religion and morality are indispensable supports of our political prosperity. Washington's view remained the nation's view throughout the 19th century and into the 20th, but that changed in 1947. In that year, in the case of Everson versus Board of Education, the Supreme Court ruled in a 5-4 to four decision that under the First Amendment, neither a state nor the federal government could pass laws which aid one religion, aid all religions, or prefer one religion over another. For the first time in American history, the First Amendment was not only about the prohibition of establishing a national religion, it was also about not giving any encouragement to any religion. The modern strict separation view was born. And where did the five justices look for support for their argument? Not the Constitution, because there was nothing in the Constitution to help them, but to that one phrase Thomas Jefferson wrote back in 1802. So Thomas Jefferson writes, the wall of separation between church and state, the Supreme Court looks to that, and thus they create the separation of church and state in the First Amendment. And so is it a good idea to keep things different? Is it a good idea to keep it apart? Well, you had several coaches fired for leading prayer. You look back to just this year, September 22nd, 2021, football players, they had to lead fans and parents in prayer since coaches are prohibited from leading students in prayer. And so one school, the fans and the parents led it. August 9th, 2016, an assistant football coach was fired from a Washington State High School for praying on the field after a game. And I believe the Supreme Court was going to, if they have not today, they were supposed to rule on something regarding that case from like five years ago. So again, it's prevalent. We're talking about church and state. 
October 29th of 2020, a Missouri coach can no longer lead a team in prayer following a letter from the Freedom of Religion Foundation. So a third party is writing and complaining to the school about coaches leading a team in prayer. Let's go back to 1998, November 8th. The directors of a Hollywood Youth Softball League fired a coach for not stopping several players, including the coach's sons, from praying after the game. So not only did the coach not even be involved in it, the kids were doing it, but the coach didn't stop it. The coach did not infringe upon their religious freedoms and got fired because of it. October 26, 1998, Ohio coach in trouble over prayer. August 23rd, 2017, football coaches on field prayer not protected by Constitution, the appeal court rules. And it goes on and on. So you have all these different things, whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's the um, a county seal, like L.A. County had to remove the cross from their county seal because apparently it was deemed offensive and you had to have that separation of church and state. So they changed the seal because of it. And so now it's going the other way. So now politics is being infused into the church. And how's that going to be? And again, we saw it big time with the white evangelicals that supported Trump and all the hatred that they received because of it. So now with the Democrats trying that same thing with Kamala Harris's video in the 300 churches, is it fair to criticize? Is it fair to go after them for engaging in politics from the pulpit? I don't think religion was intended to include politics. I don't think the pulpit is the bully pulpit that we're talking about when it comes to politics. I think there has to be a clear definition like the wall of separation because think about it. What could happen if you start to bring back religion into schools? What if you bring prayer back into schools? What if that wall of separation gets chiseled down and you mix the two. So no longer do you have that separation of church and state. But now you have things like praying to an Aztec god in the guise of ethnic studies. So Gavin Newsom, governor of California, just passed a law requiring students that graduate from high school to take an ethnic studies class. Well, the State Board of Education is trying to include in that curriculum of ethnic studies, praying to an uh, an Aztec God. So the California Department of Education passed a curriculum that has students praying to Aztec gods, according to the headlines. A lawsuit was filed this year, September 3rd, by the Thomas More Society. The prayers are being elicited under the guise of an ethnic studies course. Now, I'm not going to get into the history of Aztecs and debate the history of the Aztecs because I think all peoples, all cultures have good and bad. Everybody has skeletons in their closet. But what's being brought out here is the prayers, first of all, violate the separation of church and state clause. That's the first thing because it's prayer in school, even though it's under the guise of ethnic studies. The other thing is they're talking about how these gods and the Aztecs, as it says in the story, And again, you do the research, you look it up for yourself. But again, I'm reading from a story. So hold on your comments. The Aztecs regularly performed. So they performed on a regular basis, gruesome and horrific acts for the sole purpose of pacifying and appeasing the very beings 
that the prayers from the curriculum invoke, explained one of the lawyers representing the Thomas More Special Counsel. The human sacrifice, cutting out of human hearts, flaying of victims, and wearing their skin are a matter of historical record, along with sacrifices of war prisoners and other repulsive acts and ceremonies the Aztecs conducted to honor their deities. Any form of prayer and glorification of these bloodthirsty beings in whose name horrible atrocities were performed is repulsive to any reasonable informed observer as the story goes. Okay, we just had Christopher Columbus Day. A lot of people bagging on Christopher Columbus and wanting it changed and have changed it to Indigenous People Day because of what? Because of the way he treated, the way he enslaved, the way he killed, perhaps. I wasn't there, but perhaps the bad things he did, okay? So we canceled Christopher Columbus, called it Indigenous People Day. So again, is there hypocrisy here when it comes to the fact that you have the Aztecs, according to historical record, doing some pretty bad things to people? You see how it all kind of works together here? It, it all works together because you have a lot of what's hypocrisy. It's the hypocrisy of it all. So you can't have it one side and then turn around and want it the other side. You can't have, let's take away prayer in school, let's fire coaches, let's take down Ten Commandments because it represents the Christian faith, but then let's turn around and put in prayers to Aztec gods in the guise of ethnic studies. Let's cancel Columbus Day because of all the horrible things he did to the indigenous people, but yet the Aztec gods that they worship, the Aztecs did the same thing to worship those Aztec gods. Now, you might ask yourself, what kind of chant is it? And to be honest, it's Kind of a catchy chant, at least one of them. Weezy Lapochle is the god that they're chanting to an Aztec sun god and a war god. One of the two principal deities of Aztec religion, often represented by a hummingbird or an eagle. The Aztecs believed that dead warriors were reincarnated as hummingbirds and considered the south to be the left side of the world. So that's one of them, and that was a chant towards that, and I don't know what the chant is saying, but it's kind of catchy. But is it a prayer to the gods of destruction? The other one, Tezcatlipoca, I probably butchered the name, but also means smoking mirror. He was one of the most important gods. He was an Aztec prince of the underworld, a sorcerer, king of witches, Halloween time. 
fits right in with Halloween, perhaps the king of witches. The name means smoking mirror in reference to the obsidian mirror that he uses to foretell the future and spy on others. According to lore, the practice of human sacrifice in Mexico began with this one particular god. He assumed the shape of a rooster to seduce the first woman ever created. Then he killed her, cut out her heart, and offered it to the sun. And I guess the whole idea is to have these sacrifices so that you feed the sun so that night doesn't take over and become victorious. But again, I'm not here to talk about the Aztec culture or debate the Aztec culture. That's just factual information that I've had. So again, when you take a look at all of this, so you've got you know the vice president putting together a, um, a video, a political video, actively encouraging voters from churches to vote a certain way. So then what happens to the wall of separation between church and state? What happens then when the opposition, the Republicans, put together a video and they want it aired in the same churches? Will it be allowed? Is that going to be fair? What about the parishioners? Are they being used in this area? What if parishioners only want to go to their churches and their places of worship and they don't want to be inundated? What about the pastors? Shouldn't the pastors maybe have some say and be kind of the... uh, the person to go between to be like, you know what, this isn't the time or place for it. Or have we gotten to the point in this world that everything's free, everything's fair game, anything is possible. There's no checks and balance. It seems to be that way. It seems to be that we've gotten so far that there's no checks and balances that you can cancel Christopher Columbus. You can take away prayer in school. You can have a separation of church and state, but then you can turn around and you can infuse separation of church and state, infuse that with, okay, it's not religion in politics. It's politics in religion. So it's different. We're going to prayer, have prayer and chant to Aztec gods, but it's ethnic studies, but yet it's not prayer in school. And you can see how these things get twisted around. Is it no wonder why we have so much division? Is it no wonder why? Because there's no clear lines anymore. There's no clear defining lines, no boundaries as to what we can and can't do anymore. And so then people that are in favor of perhaps maybe chanting to Aztec gods, because maybe it's their culture. I know in California, there's a a huge uh, Mexican culture, and maybe a lot of the Mexican culture is in support of it. Maybe there's some that aren't. Because heritage, it's history. But where do we draw the line when it comes to all this? Where do we draw the line when it comes to protecting the children? Because they're the pawns in all of this. We've talked about it before. We talked about it with social media. The children are the pawns of it all. So the children are out there. They're being targeted by social media. We know the damage that social media can cause. We've talked about the body image issues. We've talked about the suicides, the depressions, the comparisons, my body to that body, my pictures to those pictures, my likes to those likes. And it goes on and on and on. And now we have political pawns that are the children when it comes to curriculum. Is it really necessary? Where do we draw the line? And it's becoming blurred because those in power want to do it their way. And those not in power trying to fight back are then dubbed some sort of racist or some sort of fascist or a hater or whatever name calling. And we all know when you get to name calling, you've lost the argument. You lost the debate. And things are done in secrecy. That's the other thing. Things are are always done in secrecy. 
And we don't want it to come out. How many times have we heard, pass the bill so we know what's in the bill? Maybe that's something that we should know before we passed it. The one thing that is kind of interesting, though, at this time when it's all coming up is the fact that a lot of this has to do with, like, witches. A lot of this has to do with, like, sorcery and the underworld. And now we approach Halloween. And so Halloween is a time that can range from the innocent, perhaps, to the extreme, to the occult. I know there's a lot of people that like to engage in activities for Halloween, and that's fine. I think that Halloween can be celebrated. I was always one that wanted Halloween because I wanted the free candy. I mean, who doesn't want free candy? We're kids. Give us the free candy. But what about all the other things that go along with it? For example, Ouija boards. Have you ever tried a Ouija board? I've never done a Ouija board because when it comes to Halloween and maybe some of the things that these Aztec gods did, for example, like um, the sorcery and maybe like the underworld stuff, maybe like the fortune telling, I was always afraid to go to those things because I'm always of the impression that if somebody tells me something, then rather instead of just letting it play out, I'm seeking it out. I'm trying to basically self-fulfill whatever would be said, right? And how does that lead us to good decision-making, raising the standard, bringing out our inner greatness if we're seeking something that somebody else who knows nothing about us is telling us? So you go to a fortune teller, or maybe you read some tarot cards, and you have a reading. And I don't know, maybe you develop a relationship with somebody that does it regularly, but I've seen online, and again, anything online, I kind of question. And I don't really believe wholeheartedly until I've seen several other sources confirm the information. But when it comes to some of these things, a lot of it has to do with um, leading the person receiving the information. You know, they never give out the full information. And so then it leads to uh, us trying to self-fulfill that prophecy by seeking it out. There's a great line from the movie The Sentinel with Michael Douglas and Kiefer Sutherland, Ava Longoria. Kiefer Sutherland is a Secret Service investigator, and he has to investigate some murders, or at least in this case, a murder is the first one that he's investigating. And he arrives on the scene of a fellow Secret Service agent that was shot and killed. Now, the local D.C. police arrive on the scene first, and they establish the investigation to begin with. And there's a dialogue between the Secret Service, Kiefer Sutherland's character, and the Washington, D.C. police. And so Kiefer Sutherland's character is like, hey, what do you think happened? And the Washington, D.C. police says, well, I think it was a mugging. And he goes, my gut says it was a mugging. He was robbed, and that's the end of that. And so then Kiefer Sutherland responds and said, that's the problem with a gut reaction is then you start to try to get the evidence to prove your gut reaction or your gut feeling. And all you're looking for is evidence to prove your gut feeling. Kind of like science. You have a hypothesis. We think this is what's going to happen with our experiment. Then we do the experiment, and then we see what happens. Now, I've taken several science classes through the course of my academic career, and there's a lot of times that my hypothesis and the actual results of the experiment were wrong. But I let it play out because that's one place, science supposedly, where it's okay to get it wrong in the beginning because you have to work through the science to get the answers. So if I hypothesize something, I'm now going to see 
through the experiment if I'm right or not. If I manipulate the experiment to get the answer to match my hypothesis, then I'm doing an injustice to science, okay? And that's what it's like with some of these things when we see the tarot cards or we go to the psychic fortune teller. They tell us things and then we try to seek that out. We're only looking for that information that's going to feed what we heard. Now, I don't know if you remember all those uh, TV psychic shows. You had the Psychic Friends Network. I believe that was what, Dion Warwick uh, tossing that around. And then there were some others, um, a lot of late-night television. Late-night television back in the 90s was phenomenal. I mean, you had things like the Floby haircut. You had, like, car wax that you can then light your car on fire, and the wax would protect it. I mean, you had all kinds of stuff. You had like mega memory things where people could rattle out 15,000 numbers and you can remember them in order. I mean, it was just nutty late night television in the 90s. And one of the personalities was a psychic by the name of Miss Cleo. Do you remember her? If not, let me jog your memory. You have questions. I have the answers. Who asked you to go out of town? The stupid young one or the married one? The married one. That's what we thought. Don't go. You hear me? If you want him to believe that it's over, then you got to stop accepting the booty calls at 2 a.m. in the morning. You understand? Yeah. Could you tell me what type of direction is my life headed into? Last four nights, your feelings have been hurt, so you've been up all night. Yes. You haven't been... And this is around a relationship. Oh. Talk about it. Okay, don't make me take you to church, young man. The ex is much better than the present one, you know. Did you think that you were pregnant a couple of months back? Yes. You were, but you lost it, correct? Yeah. The secret that you were holding back. You already hit it. It was about the baby. (laughs) Michael, you really got yourself into trouble on that one, brethren. I got back up this time. This person is that's around you right now has been in jail before. Yeah, you're right. You're telling the honest truth. Right. You know, people have been criticized and jabbed at and talked about throughout the ages for having different beliefs. And apparently I am no exception. Although it is a constant challenge. I will continue. I will not allow them to stop me. I will teach as a shaman and help those who seek the knowledge. So she's going to teach as a shaman or continue to teach as a shaman for those that want to learn. And in the beginning, the very first clip was, she asked, was it this guy or was it that guy? An open-ended question. The person responds, and of course she affirms that, right? So again, it's leading, there's leading questions, and you can get through a lot of that if you're talented enough to really fake it. And it turns out Miss Cleo was a fraud. She turned out to be someone that was just acting, made a lot of money as Miss Cleo. She wasn't even really, I guess she might have had some Jamaican uh, ancestry, but wasn't a psychic. Didn't even have a psychic, I mean, didn't even have that Jamaican accent in real life. And then she was revealed to be a fraud, went on the talk show circuits and kind of talked about it, made a bunch of money. And then unfortunately, you know, got sick and eventually passed away. But that's the type of thing that we're talking about. So you have somebody, and again, nowadays they put for entertainment purposes only, but I think back then they didn't put that. So if you're looking for somebody or to give you advice or if you're looking for somebody to tell you something or what's going to happen in the future, all you're going to do then is look for information to fulfill that, and you might be missing out. You might be going down this path, but then you should be over here chasing your true passion, raising your standard, going down that road over there. 
I know Dr. Laura Schlesinger, radio talk show. She was a psychologist, I guess. And she would have people call in and she would give advice. And there's, and there's many others that have followed. But she was one that got huge ratings to begin with, but then got a lot of criticism because someone would call up with a very difficult and very involved problem. And she would give them a 30-second answer and then move on. And a lot of times the answer or the response that she gave those people would probably misinterpret or they would try to somehow make sense of it and it would cause greater problem. And she got a lot of blowback because of that. But so we have to be careful with the information that we're receiving and who we're receiving from. So during this Halloween season, I would caution anybody that gets excited about going out and getting their fortune read or, you know, going to a tarot card reader or a um, fortune teller. Now I'm not saying don't do it. I mean, I personally wouldn't do it because I think it could mess with me and mess with what I'm trying to do with my life and send me on a, because someone comes up to you and says, Oh, you gained a little weight or I don't like your, your hairstyle, whatever the case may be, it's going to affect us, right? Some of those little things are going to affect us. I don't like what you're wearing today. Makes you look fat. It's going to affect us. Now imagine somebody who supposedly is an authority on our future giving us information. And then what happens if that information goes south? See the type of impact it can have on us? It could have a, a negative impact. Another thing that's kind of dangerous, I would say, is the Ouija board. I know it's just a fun game. Milton Bradley brought it out a long time ago and asked some questions, move the board around. But what happens when the Ouija board becomes more than just a game? It becomes more than a game. I think part of the motivation of getting on the board was being able to get in contact with family. And we were just like amazed when it started to work for us. Sometimes we may go on the board maybe two or three times a day. It kind of sucks you in. I didn't care for it much because they kind of really got into, like, believing it. You guys are really messed around. They would ask you questions like, oh, when will I get pregnant? They really took everything it said seriously. I'd read that it can be dangerous, you don't know what you're calling for with that sort of thing. But I think once you find that you're getting these questions answered correctly time and time again, your skepticism's gone. You truly do believe. So for about a month, we'd been using the board, having a good time with it. You ready? Yeah. Then one day, um, we said, is there any friendly spirit here who would like to come forth and communicate with us? And it said no. The room felt different. Something weird going on. We both noticed it, like, right away. And we said, who is this? Spells out V O X. Vox. What are we dealing with? And then all of a sudden, things got really weird. It was out of control. Like, it was scary. We're barely touching it, and it's just moving everywhere. It's kept on saying the same stuff over and over and over again. It was all directed to me. He loved me, that Mike was lucky that he was able to sleep with me. 
I was a porn star. It was weird, sickening, nerve-wracking. It was out of my hands, out of my control, and it was frightening. We said goodbye, and then it spelt out, you will never be rid of me. There's nothing you can do about it. All of a sudden, I started counting down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Stop it! That really freaked me out. I'm like, what have we done? What have we done? So, true story. They made the the news on a on a few uh, news platforms back in the day about the Ouija board connecting with the spirit. Now you might be skeptical and be like, "That's just made for television," and that's fine. You can make your own decision. But like I said, I like to have a couple sources, and there's a couple people that I know personally that I trust what they have to say, and they've shared stories about Ouija boards. And one story, for example, a guy I know, uh, his now wife, back when she was a teen, her and her friends had a Ouija board and they were playing the Ouija board. And they were having some fun with it. And then at the end, as they were winding down with the Ouija board, the Ouija board started to spell out K-I-L-L. And then one of the names of the people in the room and it freaked all of them out and they threw away the Ouija board similar stories over all over the place with the Ouija board I think that's what we have to do we have to be careful because again we always talk about the influences you know we talk about the superficial influences you know I'm looking in the mirror do I have a real perspective of how I see myself Am I listening to people that are giving me good information about myself, good career advice, or are they jealous and giving me bad information? Am I listening to good relationship information? You know, what's the type of information that we are receiving? Is it beneficial? Does it come from a good source? And then we start to get into Halloween. We start to get into some things that we think are just fun, tarot cards, fortune tellers. Hey, let's just go get our fortune told. It could be fun. But it opens the door just a little bit. Just a perfume of doubt is all it takes to really mess with the mind. Because we talk about the mindset. We want to guard the mind, right? We're preparing our mind because we have greatness within us. We have the mindset of a lion. We're going to go after and devour the prey that comes after us. We're going to devour the hyenas. We're going to go after the negativity and we're going to conquer it. But then when we look at some of these other things, we start to open our minds to some of those things that can defeat us. And so we have to be careful and we have to make sure that we don't expose ourselves to those kinds of things. So as we get into the holiday season and we're going through all these fun times, fun activities, you know, eventually we're going to have Thanksgiving and then Christmas, if it doesn't get canceled by Fauci or the supply chain issues, you know, we're going to have the holidays and then New Year and then we start all over again. But Halloween usually is kind of like that holiday that kicks off the holiday season. And so as we go into it, you know, you might be watching movies, scary movies. I love scary movies. In fact, I got a few coming up that I'm going to recommend. We like to listen to some music. 
You like to go to maybe the haunted houses, you know, maybe the amusement parks near you have, you know, horror nights and we have fun going to those. And so it could be a lot of fun, but I would just caution as we go through life, especially nowadays, life is tough enough as it is. You know, we've really gone through a lot in the last year and a half. Maybe we've dealt with a lot of mental health issues because of it. Do we really want to expose ourselves, even as innocent as it might be, to some of these things that we have going on? I mean, because think about it. Again, not judging the Aztecs, but you take a look at what drove them to do what they did in order to honor their gods. We look at the politics and what has transpired through politics to get us where we are today, the divide, the great divide, the issues at hand with politics, with the elections, how dirty it's gotten. They say politics is a nasty business. It's getting nastier every day. So we have to guard ourselves. We want to make sure that we do things that allow us to have the right mindset, to get out there, to raise the standard, to bring out that inner greatness so that we can be an inspiration for others. Because we want to get better, not worse. We want the community around us to get better, not worse. We want society to get better, not worse. And it's not going that way. You know, it's easy to place blame. And sometimes blame is necessary to affect change. But when we all we do is blame and that's it, then we fall short. Then we are part of the problem. We need to have solutions. We need to be able to come up with solutions to try to solve the problems. Sometimes we may not be able to, but sometimes we can. And one of the ways that we can possibly, this holiday season, keep the negative. I mean, think about it. Things are already bad enough as it is. So we still have the pandemic going on. We still have, you know, um, supply chain issues. We've got prices skyrocketing. We've got items and goods not available. Shelves are being emptied. All right. So it's already going to be stressful enough. The, The holidays are already stressful enough as it is. Do we really want to open ourselves up to some of these other things by doing a Ouija board? By doing a tarot card, what if it comes back and says, oh, you're not going to survive the holidays? What's that going to say to you? Again, we like to think of the positives. We like to think, hey, I go to a fortune teller. They're going to tell me I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to meet the person of my dreams. Everything's going to be rosy. And that's what they like to do because they want to keep you coming back because nobody's going to go back for bad news, right? Oh, you're going to die. You're going to get cancer. You're going to be dead in 30 days. I want my money back. I don't like that fortune. So we have to be prepared for the bad if we seek it out. But why open ourselves to that? Why not just go through life utilizing the skills that we have, utilizing the support system that we have, the structure that we have, and enjoy it? Because we all know, especially from the past year, that life is short and we never know. We never know if tomorrow is going to come. So why set ourselves up for the bad? Enjoy it. One of the ways you can enjoy it that I like to enjoy is movies. So I've seen all kinds of scary movies. I saw the, uh, you know, the Halloweens, the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Uh, I even saw the uh, what Friday the 13th. A lot of them unimpressive. Some of them had some cool things. You know, had the screams. Um, so it's all different kinds of, of movies, and there's a million out there that you can watch. But here's a few if you really want to approach Halloween and movies a little different this year. Okay, here's what I recommend, because not only is it Halloween, not only is it 
kind of scary-esque, but it is also literary as far as literature, culture, and history. So you blend it all into one. So again, it's the way I like to celebrate is let's have something scary. Let's have something that I can learn from. Let's have something cultural. And so I blend it all together, and this is what I get. So the first movie I would recommend is from 1922, Nosferatu. It's the first ever vampire movie. It's a silent film, and it's, uh, I don't even think it's black and white. It's whatever that grainy film was before black and white even came about. But it's about uh, a vampire. And now you think about it, and it's, uh, you think about Dracula. Before Nosferatu, 1800s, we're reading Bram Stoker's Dracula. According to the words on the page, I'm developing an image of what Dracula looks like. You're developing an image of what Dracula looks like. Could be the same, probably is a little different. Nosferatu comes around. Now we all have an image of what a vampire looks like because that's the first image on film. And then from there you think about, you know what, then Tom Cruise, wasn't he a vampire, and Brad Pitt. Then you have what, um, you know, all these other movies that come along. You have The Underworld with Kate Winslet and all those people that were in that. And then you have the ones where it was the, the vampires against the werewolves, the Twilight series, right? So then all of a sudden we have all these different images of what a vampire is. But Nosferatu from 1922, a silent film. I think you can even get it on YouTube or someplace like that. Recommend the movie. Another movie from 1931, the original Frankenstein. Definitely worth uh, watching. And again, you'll find out that Frankenstein, what we know as it today, and the movie is a little different. We all know that Frankenstein is the doctor and the monster is Frankenstein's monster. And you find out why people don't like him. Not as scary as you think. Both these movies, not as scary as you think. So it could be enjoyed by people or a, uh, a group of people that, you know, don't like the intense scare and horror films, but want a little taste of, of Halloween. Another one I would recommend is a little bit harder to find, but it's When a Stranger Calls Back from 1993. It's the sequel to When a Stranger Calls, and it's uh, 1993, and it's When a Stranger Calls Back. It's actually really good. It's not all that blood and gore, but has a nice little suspense to it, and there's a nice twist as well, 1993, when a stranger calls back. One that I like to that I like to watch every once in a while is Creep Show from 1982 because it's these little vignettes, like about maybe four or five different uh, short stories, so to speak. And there's always some unique twist at the end too. Um, and again, a little bit of an intensity to it, so it gets the heart pumping a little bit, you know, but not too much, not overkill. And then the other one, 1956, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Another classic that's interesting that is also relevant to what's going on today in the world and in politics. So it's kind of interesting. So Nosferatu from 1922, Frankenstein from 1931, When a Stranger Calls Back, 1993, Creepshow from 1982, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. Top Halloween costumes, according to various sites, you can be anything like a contestant from Squid Games or maybe a guard from Squid Games. That seems to be the top costume, Halloween costume for this year. You're probably going to see a lot of Squid Game stuff out there. An interesting one, Steve from Blue's Clues. For some reason, he came out with an announcement as to why he quit Blue's Clues and everybody wants to be Steve for Halloween. Cruella, 
is another one that seems to be a popular one that a lot of people are suggesting as a Halloween costume. An astronaut, just a generic astronaut. William Shatner's gone to space. What Didn't Bezos go to space and Tesla go to space? Everybody's going to space. And so apparently an astronaut now is all the rage as far as a, a costume. The Black Widow or any other Marvel or DC character tends to be a trend for Halloween costumes. Anything Olivia Rodrigo, for some reason, is being recommended. Hand sanitizer. Beetlejuice, which is a classic. Wednesday from the Adams Family. And Harley Quinn. And again, Harley Quinn, I think, circles back to maybe that kind of DC Marvel character type of thing. Now, when it comes to music, there's a couple songs that I like to highlight at this time. Many songs you can pick, but these, I think, are the three must-played songs for your Halloween party, all right? So here is song number three. Ray Parker, his number one hit from 1984, the theme song to the movie Ghostbusters. Ivan Reitman insisted that when the song was written that the title of the film, Ghostbusters, was in the actual song, which made it difficult for Ray Parker to create. And that Ghostbusters shout that you hear, that one right there, that's actually Parker's girlfriend and her friends shouting Ghostbusters. It was nominated for an Oscar for the best song from a movie, but lost out to Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You. And that movie was from the movie Woman in Red. So Ghostbusters, Ray Parker, number one hit from 1984. Definitely a must-have song on your Halloween party playlist. The number two song that you must have, an absolute must, on your Halloween party music playlist. actually approaching midnight in the east coast but hey can you do the dance can you do the thriller dance the video is considered one of the most famous videos of all time the long version averaging or the length is 14 minutes there has been some shorter versions i think the mtv version was about five minutes but 14 minutes was the long version it was uh inducted or included into the library of congress their national film registry in 2009 Vincent Price, another guy that you might want to check out for movies, an old-time actor, did a lot of scary movies, but Vincent Price did the narration for the song. Now, get this. Vincent Price was paid $20,000 to do the narration for the song, you know, the Hounds of Hell part. Well, he could have taken a percentage of the royalties instead, but he was older in life and at the latter stage of his career, so he decided to take the twenty grand. If he would have taken the, reality, uh, the royalties, he could have made millions. And the Thriller album, the best-selling album in the world with seven U.S. top ten hits. And the number one song that you must have at your Halloween party, on your Halloween party playlist.
an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the mash He did the monster mash Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers from 1962, their number one hit The plot, Frankenstein's monster starts a dance craze And that's the plot of the song Of course, it's based off of... Uh, Mary Shelley's 1818 novel of Frankenstein. So again, you can watch the movie and you can play the song and you've got a Frankenstein fix and maybe start your own dance craze. But all that sound effects that you hear, again, remember the song was made in 1962. So many of the sound effects had to be created in the studio. So the coffin being opened was made by pulling out rusty nails from a lump of wood with the claw hammer. The bubbling sounds came from blowing through a straw into glass water. Who hasn't done that? You know, a glass of water, so you blow in the straw to make the bubbles. The sound of the chains were made by dropping chains onto plywood planks on the record studio floor. So when you take a look at that song and you listen to it, there's a lot more to it than meets the ear that went into creating that song. So Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kickers, number one song from 1962, the top song that you must have on your Halloween party playlist. This is Two Steps Ed Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great, Son Edom. Thanks for being with us. We truly appreciate it. If you want to uh, find out more about the show, you can go to RadioWarp.com, Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You can find uh, previous episodes. You can listen to them on SoundCloud. You can uh, watch them on YouTube through RadioWarp.com. You can subscribe to SoundCloud and to YouTube and never miss an episode. And so uh, you can also uh, find us on Instagram, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and you'll find uh, show-related content there. My personal Instagram is EdomRocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, EdomRocks. And so you can message me there as well. If you'd like to email the show, you can. TWO two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com TWO two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. And you can always just Google search us or Hey Suri, Hey Alexa play two steps ahead podcast. And we pop up. So again, thanks so much for being with us. We truly appreciate it. We treat appreciate your support. If you go to Instagram one of our Instagram sites, you can click the Linktree link in the bio, and it brings you all kinds of options. So you can find RadioWarp.com through our Instagram. You can find our YouTube. You can find our SoundCloud. You can find our merchandise shop if you want to buy some merch. It's uh, hoodie season. used to be sweater weather. Now it's hoodie season. Get yourself a really cool hoodie, some drinkware, uh, maybe some cool gifts for the holidays coming up. So everything is right there on uh the link tree link in the Instagram of TWO two steps ahead podcast. Hey, thanks for being with us. 99 shows in the, uh, in the books show 100 coming up next. Do join us for that. Hey, thanks for being with us. Take care. Be kind. Enjoy your holiday season. And we'll see you next time here on two steps ahead podcast, encouraging you to take your passion Make it happen and let yourself be great.